Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. My name is Avid Kahl, and I talk about bootstrapping, entrepreneurship, and building in public. First, a word from our sponsor. Microacquire is the number one startup acquisition marketplace, and it is simply the most efficient way to sell a startup. Typically, as a first-time founder, you really have no idea what you're getting yourself into when you first go through an acquisition, and Microacquire wants to change that for you and empower you when you're speaking with buyers, potential buyers, and then streamline this process of getting acquired by the right buyer for the maximum price without the headaches that come with not really knowing what you're going through. So to date, they've helped hundreds of startups successfully get acquired, and they facilitated hundreds of millions in closed deal volume. If you're thinking about selling your business at some point, you might want to check out Microacquire today. Go to microacquire.com to learn more. And now let's get started. When it comes to selling a small indie business, defensibility is a key factor that potential buyers will consider. A unique moat, a competitive advantage, that just lets your business stand out so much more from the competition, and it's seen as a valuable acquisition with that. Many small founders sell their businesses because they want to get rid of them and then attracts bargain hunters. It's easy to negotiate a founder down when they feel pressure to sell, a business that's not very stable or profitable in the first place. Being able to show that potential competitors have to climb a rather sizable barrier to entry into your market, that will net you a significant premium when it's valuation time. The absence of such a mode around your entrepreneurial castle, so to speak, well, that will push the price down. You can't ask for much in that situation. And while buyers will still acquire profitable businesses without this oversized advantage, it's usually a good idea to consider how you can set up that mode around your business. It'll make things so much easier. Warren Buffett is the person who coined this term, the moat, and he used it to describe a company's competitive advantage. And in the context of software businesses, a moat might be a patent, proprietary technology, a network effect or a brand, a couple of things come to mind. Whatever form it takes, the moat helps to protect the business from its competitors and allowing it to maintain its market position and to continue to generate revenue. That's the idea. Intellectual property is the most obvious example of this. If you have a patent on any particular technology, any competitor will have to find an alternative way to solve their problem or negotiate a licensing fee with you. Unfortunately, this works so much better in the world of physical products than it does for software entrepreneurs. Algorithms and software solutions, they are notoriously hard to protect because they usually can't be patented in the first place. And while you certainly have the copyright over the source code of your app, the underlying idea isn't protected the same way. That means we'll have to find our moats somewhere else. And usually, they are to be found somewhere in our database. You can say what you want about Netflix and the movies that they are producing, but more often than not, they really resonate with their viewership. That's not because Netflix is really good at focus group interviews. No, they are extremely proficient at tracking every single interaction that a viewer takes with their service. Every second of video they watch, every preview that they didn't skip, every click, and even how long you hovered over any movie suggestion that you then don't end up watching, all of this data goes
goes into the database. They are such a giant player because they know how to use that data for qualitative and quantitative insights. They are producing new movies the most data-driven way possible. And that makes them a solid amount of money. Is this a mode? I think so. Think about it like this. Every hour watched on Netflix is an hour that neither Disney Plus or Hulu or Amazon Prime Video will ever know about. Capturing the intent and the actual actions of their viewer is precious data that makes it easier to keep the viewer's attention even more in the future and make new content. Just like Twitter and Facebook are trying to keep people scrolling, Netflix's mode is how effective they are at keeping us watching. Now, obviously, this requires two major ingredients, massive amounts of data and the capacity to extract actionable conclusions from it. To be able to effectively monetize your data, which is what makes this a competitive advantage in the first place, you need lots of it. And over time, a SaaS business will aggregate a lot of such information if you make sure to track it from the start. Setting up smart usage analytics is a mode building activity and don't delay that for too long. Track what people are doing in your product. But not all data-related effects need to happen at massive scale. At Feedback Panda, this hyper-niche SaaS business that I co-founded and sold, we knew that it would take a while to gather enough user activity to make any meaningful inferences. But we also understood that our users' data was valuable to them all by itself, and we could leverage that. Our software product was essentially a custom-built CRM system for individual online English teachers. They would track their students, the classes they taught, and the text template that they used to quickly create student feedback to send over to the parents of the kids that they would teach any given day. And we also knew from our market research prior to building the product that our target customers were already actively sharing such templates with each other. So we turned Feedback Panda into a platform not only to store such templates, but also share them with all other users of the platform. That had two major consequences. With every new user, the platform became more interesting to new prospects because more shared templates would be available to them. The treasure trove of templates was growing, and that was very attractive to prospects. But the inverse was also true. For existing users of the platform, there was an incentive to invite new users to the platform to introduce fresh and novel templates into the shared pool. This network effect worked like a charm and it created this flywheel effect that powered a significant part of our customer acquisition. That in itself is a moat. We weren't depending on paid advertising or shaky distribution channels. Our current users would find our future users for us. They'd get them into the product and we'd see new templates pouring into our database almost immediately. But that database and the data in it, that doesn't just happen to spring into existence. It's being filled with data by users, actual human beings that connect with each other and with whom we build long-term relationships. And that makes for incredibly strong mode opportunities as well. If you struggle to build a technological mode, look into the interpersonal things there. Indie founders have the often neglected advantage of unmediated contact with their customers. If you're the only employee of your business, you'll build the product while helping customers with their issues. And 
even when you hire people to take over customer service work eventually, you'll still be taking care of most of the important issues that your users might have. And that, when done well, can create an incredible amount of customer loyalty. Every single day, people call their banks or mobile phone providers and are met with long waits, powerless customer service agents, and unresolved issues. You can do better. In fact, you have to do better if you want people to be loyal to your business. Fortunately, standing out isn't that hard because most enterprise businesses are already so bad at it. Respond timely, own your mistakes, and allow people to help themselves. I have personally been able to turn regular users into product evangelists by just having a kind and engaging 15-minute conversation with them through the little chat widget that we had placed inside our product. Being heard and being seen as a customer is something most people won't expect because it just doesn't happen to them. Surprise them with something like that and they'll talk about your business in ways that you will see impacting your bottom line. This loyalty is valuable because it's reputational and reputation takes a long time to build. Not only that, it's also extremely easy to destroy with a single act of greed or malice. So for a potential acquirer of your business, seeing your customers talk kindly about your business is a very clear indicator that it's very reputable. And that's worth a premium, particularly in the market where there are lots of shady actors around. There are many ways to make quick money and business investors look for long-term prospects that didn't go for this kind of stuff. They look for reputable businesses that are much better at sustaining their cash flow than people who try to greedily get all the money they can get. In the end, the brand of a business can be its greatest mode. Your reputation in the community as a founder and that of the business is something that will describe your business long after you sell it. It's engraved in the collective memory of the peers and customers who followed you along your own entrepreneurial journey. That makes building in public such a smart choice when you're trying to build a sellable business. No matter who you end up selling to, there's a public trace of the humble and community-centric origins of that business. And not only will that create a public perception, it will also attract the right people. Many indie founders have sold their businesses to other more ambitious or at least better funded indie founders. It's much easier to find someone to keep building out your vision if they've been a glowing supporter of you and your ideas in the past. And even if you don't source your own replacement from the founder community, building in public will allow you to find equally exciting opportunities in the shape of partnerships or potential integrations down the line. If you share what features you work on and how you intend to serve and empower your own customers, other founders will see opportunities for collaboration and they'll talk to you about it. If you toil away in secrecy, they won't ever really know that you could have worked with each other and they'll go on building business relationships with founders who do build in public. Your involvement in the community of peers and customers will create long-term business network effects while less tangible than technological modes, they will still heavily impact how valuable your business is to a potential buyer. Now, often founders built their businesses on top of such network effect heavy products. They built plugins, add-ons, apps, and extensions for platforms like WordPress or Shopify, Heroku, Cloudflare, and Slack. 
This is a great way of stair-stepping into the world of software entrepreneurship, but it comes with a huge potential drawback, and that's right in the name, platform risk. This refers to the potential for changes in the underlying platform on which you built your software product, and those changes negatively impact the product. For example, if your whole business is built on a third-party platform like Shopify, there's a risk that changes to Shopify's API or policies could negatively impact your product or business. This could lead to a loss of users, revenue, maybe even a need to completely rebuild the product on a different platform. And that's not very attractive to acquirers unless they already have a portfolio of extensions and apps where the synergy potential with your product would outweigh the risk of the platform itself. But most buyers are looking for standalone products or at least a business that is diversified enough to withstand one platform breaking away. So if you're building a Heroku add-on or a Shopify plugin, consider expanding it to support multiple platforms. A defensible business like this is a good business and if it's good, it's sellable. So keep looking for ways to build a moat around your indie business from day one come up with new technological concepts, build a brand worth talking about, or build a business in public so that people can find opportunities to make it more valuable as you build it. All of this will impact the final sale price of your business should you ever want to sell it. And trust me, with a good moat, you'll fetch a price you will want to sell it at. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Avidkal, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. You'll find my book, Zero to Sold, and The Better Entrepreneur in my Twitter course. Find your following there as well. If you want to support me and the Bootstrap Founder Podcast, please follow my YouTube channel, subscribe to the podcast and your podcast player of choice, and leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. Any of this would help the show. So thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.